Let me give you some lazy images to get into this text this morning. Here's a lazy man's approach to mowing the lawn. (laughs) And look at this next slide. Nothing like an escalator to get into the fitness gym. (laughs) Is replacing the toilet paper that difficult? (laughs) Walking the dog is obviously not for a lazy person, or maybe in this case it is. Or taking your baby for a stroll, fresh air for your baby and exercise for you, or maybe not. (laughs) Now a road crew painting a new center line, a double yellow, busy road, obviously. How could that be laziness? Here's how. Laziness. When you just can't be bothered to do more than the bare minimum, that's laziness. This morning's text will address the problem and the consequences of laziness, of doing the minimum at most, the, the least at best. Pray with me as we dive in together. Father, thank you for setting the example. Thank you that creation was complete. You didn't just create the minimum. There is profound diversity of life, of color, of form, and each has its place and its function. And thank you that salvation is complete, that you didn't just barely save. There is such profound transformation in life. Each person can be fully redeemed and transformed by your grace. Help us to remove any laziness in our lives. Help us to be fully engaged in your plan for us. I pray this in the name of Jesus, the complete Savior. Amen. The motto of the Boy Scouts is be prepared, which means you are always in a state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. Be prepared in mind by having disciplined yourself to be obedient to every order, and also by having thought out beforehand any accident or situation that might occur so that you know the right thing to do at the right moment and are willing to do it. Be prepared in body by making yourself strong and active, willing and able to do the right thing at the right moment, and then to actually do it if the time comes. Listen to what Jesus teaches his disciples about being ready, being prepared in Matthew chapter 24. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 24. We're continuing in the text that we've been working through and walking through together. Today we'll be in 24 and part of 25. But Matthew 24, 42 to 44, it reads, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So, you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him.
Jesus says, keep watch. Why? Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. This follows up with what we looked at last week where he made it very clear. No one knows the day nor the hour. Anyone tells you the day or the hour, it's not true. They don't know. It's at best a guess, and it's wrong. God has been clear about that. Jesus says, keep watch. In just a few days, these disciples will discover the challenge of keeping watch. After the Passover meal, they will go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus goes to pray, and he asks them to keep watch while he prays. They all fall asleep. Have you ever wondered about that? Why couldn't they stay awake? Well, if you've had a Passover meal, I mean a real Passover meal, they've had five glasses of wine. It's tough to keep watch after five glasses of wine being passed around the table. But not only that, it was late at night. They usually were asleep at this time. Back in those days, you didn't have light switches to turn off and on, and oil lamps were romantic, but that's about as far as it went. And so sun up to sundown, they were awake. After sundown, they went to sleep. Now, in certain parts of the world, that's a good time frame. Where our mission team was in Ecuador, it's absolutely gorgeous because the sun comes up at 6 every morning and it goes down at 6 every night, every single day of the year. They're right on the equator. Everything stays the same. It could get a little boring, but it sets up a rhythm in life. Keeping watch is challenging. It is difficult, especially if the watch goes on for a long time. The second thing Jesus says is, be ready. Why? Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We won't miss it because even if we're asleep we will be awakened. The coming is a major event, not just in timing, but in everything that happens around it. The Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus is saying to his disciples then and now, be engaged, be fully engaged, or as has become the popular phrase, be all in, all in, all the time. To illustrate this, Jesus tells them a story we find in the beginning of Matthew 25, verses 1 to 4. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Ten virgins become bridesmaids. They are the bridesmaids of the story. Five of them are said to be foolish. Their foolishness is clear. They brought lamps for the procession and the party, but no oil for the lamps. What's with that? Well, I think they thought The bridegroom would bring the oil. After all, it was his wedding party, wasn't it? Whatever they thought, the reality is they were not prepared. 
they were not fully engaged. In contrast, five of these bridesmaids are said to be wise. Their wisdom is made clear also. They brought both lamps and oil for the procession and for the party. They made no assumption about someone else's responsibility. They chose to be responsible. They chose to be prepared to be fully engaged. Jesus continues his story. In verse 5, the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Jesus says, they all became drowsy. They all fell asleep. There were no exceptions. There was not one who was more keeping watch than others. They all fell asleep. All ten, both the foolish and the wise, slept. Some of you came in this morning and told me that you were tired today. I reminded you that for the Christian, this is a day of rest. Some of you are taking that seriously. You don't need to nudge them. Sleep is a necessary part of life. And they'll be blessed in sleeping. It's best to do it at night, but we don't always have that choice, do we? Some of us work during the night and not during the day. They all became drowsy and fell asleep. The point is, it is challenging to keep watch. Staying fully awake is a very difficult thing. God has made us to rest not only one day in seven. He has made us to rest every night after work, depending upon when our work schedule is. These are basic rhythms for living that God has prepared for us because he knew we were not capable of being up and alert and awake and functional 24 hours a day, seven days a week. As they are sleeping, the announcement comes. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. All ten bridesmaids awaken. Nobody slept in. Everybody was awakened. And that's when the dilemma becomes completely clear. The five foolish have run out of oil for their lamps, so they say to the five wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. They had not prepared. They were present. They appeared to be ready, but they were not fully engaged. The five wise respond to them, No, there may not be enough for both us and you. How do you feel about that response? Does it seem selfish a bit? Well, it could. But remember, their job was to serve the bridegroom with light for the procession and for the party. They would be irresponsible if they gave oil to the others and then all the lamps went out for both the procession and the party. They were not selfish. They were focused. They were prepared. The emergency caused by the foolish did not become their responsibility. They needed to do what they could to serve the bridegroom. 
The wise gave the foolish a solution for their problem. Go to those who sell oil and buy some. Jesus continues the story. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. The foolish apparently go out to buy oil for their lamps. But remember, this is first century Israel. There's no convenience store nearby. It's not how they operated then. And frankly, having been there a few times myself, they don't operate much that way now either. It's very different. It's wonderful, but it's not like we have it here. The bridegroom comes, and the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And the door was shut. The foolish bridesmaids finally show up. Sir, open the door for us, they say. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. But hadn't he asked them to be part of the wedding party? He didn't know them? Well, Jesus asks everyone to join him. There's no one left out of his invitation. But some people say no. Others say, well, not not now. I'm busy. I've got some other things going on. Still others say they will join, but then they do nothing to really prepare for joining him. He doesn't know them because they haven't let themselves be known in an authentic way. Jesus is clear. He wants his disciples prepared. He wants his followers to be fully engaged. And without giving details, he reveals the tragic consequence of being a disciple in name only, of being a disciple who's merely a fan or an admirer and not truly a follower. My friends, our lives give witness to what matters to us, whether it be the words we use, the way we put them together, the behaviors of our life. Everybody is giving witness to something. It is clear if we give witness to Jesus because he is so unique. He is so inclusive. He is so loving. He is so forgiving. He is so encouraging. And on we could go with lots of words that describe him. We give witness to him or we do not. We are engaged with him or we are not. To be a fan of his, to say I love him is wonderful, but not enough. It goes much deeper, much farther, much wider, and much higher than that if he is Lord of our life. So he concludes his story to the disciples by saying, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Jesus is not interested in us wasting our time trying to figure out an elaborate scheme and timing of the events of his return. What he's interested in is us being ready and keeping watch for his return. Let me 
push it this way. We ask the obvious question, are you ready for Jesus coming? Are you prepared? Are you really fully engaged? But let's get more practical for us today. This is not just about being prepared for Jesus coming again. That is on the last day, though he is coming and we don't know when. This is also about being prepared for Jesus coming now in life today. Not the end times, not the final coming, not the completion of it all, but in the working it through day by day by day, which he has been doing since he was raised from the dead. If we're going to be prepared for his final coming, it would help if we would be prepared for his coming now, today. couple examples. Jesus comes in worship. Are you prepared? Have you read the texts? They're published at least a week in advance for every service. You get them. That's one way to prepare. Have you prayed up today for our meeting together with the brothers and sisters in the family? You've had the list since last week of those who were needing help, who were in the hospital or were recovering from surgery or the military who are overseas, and on we could go. We try to keep that in front all the time. We send out two email blasts a week, one with announcement information, one with prayer requests. None of the prayer requests are given without the permission of the people for whom the prayers are to be prayed. So some people aren't included there because they haven't given permission for those prayers to be asked. Are you engaged? Are you preparing for Jesus coming now and not just thinking about the end times? Over the years, I've been very sad at the number of people who spend only Sunday giving attention to God, prayer, and Bible. Much of the struggle people have with worship is that they only worship once a week. They're spiritually weak at best and certainly neither personally prepared and practiced nor fully engaged. If you're just worshiping once a week, I want to challenge you today to pick up the pace. There's opportunities for devotion, for prayer, not just alone and personally, but also with other people. We give ample opportunity for people to learn and grow and be prepared for Jesus showing up now. Let me apply that. A second example. Jesus coming at work. Can you imagine Jesus showing up at your workplace? He does. Are you prepared at work for his appearing? He appears in relationship opportunities with coworkers, often in times of trouble. It's an opportunity to give comfort. It's an opportunity to encourage. It's an opportunity in some cases to forgive. It's an opportunity to pray for someone or better yet, pray with them. In the mid-1980s, I took a year off from pastoral ministry. I became employed by an architectural and engineering firm in downtown Minneapolis. I discovered a couple of things in that year. I give you three of them. First, I discovered that I'm called to be a witness wherever I am and whatever I'm doing. 
I listened to people at the firm. I really cared for them. I really enjoyed them. It was a fresh, new kind of experience for me. I quickly became the go-to person if people were hurting or in trouble. The break room became a kind of counseling and encouraging center for me as people would come to me with their problems. I attended more funerals, more weddings, more parties than I had in the church. It was amazing. I discovered afresh my calling to ministry, but ministry not in a church setting, in a secular office. It was a powerful experience for me. The second thing I discovered was the difference between telling people I would pray for them and actually praying with them. Discreetly, yes. Personally, yes. Not making a public spectacle of it. This was life-changing for each of us. For them, because someone actually prayed with them on the moment at the spot. And it was good for me because since then, my third thing, I've engaged many people in the church to do these very things in their workplace. They can become the go-to people. They can become the encouragers, the builder-uppers, the prayers with. I've watched that even in school settings with teachers, with each other, where the separation of church and state has been most pronounced politically. I've watched it with teachers taking on responsibilities in after-school programs with kids who want the encouragement in their spiritual life. It can be done. That's being engaged with Jesus showing up now. And it means showing up in us or in other people or in circumstances, the need for him shows up. And being a proactive presenter of what Christ has made possible for us. This is what matters to Jesus. Oh, he wants us to be ready for his second coming. But he wants us to be a participate, a participant in his coming now. I'm amazed at the number of people I know and love who say they love God, but spend very little or no time with him. There are 168 hours in each week for each one of us. If we were just to tithe our time That would be 16.8 hours per week, or to simplify it, 2 hours and 24 minutes a day. That's just tithing our time. However, the reality of the Bible is that God originally called for one day in seven to rest and give him worship. That would be 24 hours each week. If we're going to be prepared for his coming each day, it's essential that we begin engaging him daily and then grow from there. Time spent in prayer, speaking yes, listening more. Time spent in prayer with others, speaking and listening. Jesus' call for us is to be ready, to keep watch, to be prepared. It's essential that we learn Bible. Do you know the Bible? Of all the churches that I have been privileged to serve, I have never seen the caliber of teachers for adult learning that we have here. It's amazing. Are you taking every opportunity and advantage to learn from them? It's amazing. Step up. This fall, when all the programs begin again in a fresh way, 
make a decision to join in on Sundays, on Wednesdays. And Lord willing, God may be moving us toward a significant small group ministry where we actually support each other in our neighborhoods, study the scripture and pray with each other together on a regular basis. I'm amazed at how often I hear the words and I've heard it here. You know, I really don't know the Bible very well. We all start there. There was a long time I didn't know it very well either. I still have things to learn. I look forward to sitting at the feet of some people I have to learn from. I've learned some from here, from the teachers that we have as I've been in their classes. Jesus said he was going to prepare a place for those who believe in him. That is one of the promises that gives people hope, especially in difficult times. But why should we presume that Jesus is preparing for us if we're not preparing for him and him using us to accomplish his purposes? Let's prepare. Really, let's prepare. Let's fully engage for Jesus coming then and now. Pray with me. Help us, Lord, to be ready. Ready for your coming as you show up now through living our lives as examples of you for others. And ready for your coming at the end of the age when you take your followers home to heaven. Help us to partner with you to prepare the way for many more people to be ready as well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.